Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the second episode of this week here on the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is Super Wild Card Week preview day for the NFC. Uh, very entertaining conference from start to finish. We have juggernauts. We have plucky underdogs. We have, hopefully, uh, some closer games than maybe we expect in the AFC side. Uh, lots to go over today. We're going to be diving into three games in depth. Trying to give you uh, as much information as we possibly can for all of your betting and or prize pick slips purposes, uh, or maybe if you're doing daily fantasy, that type of stuff. Uh, whatever you got going this weekend, hopefully we can help you out with it. But before we get to all that, EJ, buddy, how you doing? I'm good. I'm looking forward to it. This is an interesting set of matchups. We were talking about that pre-show. We think some of them might be fairly lopsided. We will tell you all the ways we think they could be close or that the ones, uh, the teams that are underdogs uh, could come out with the win, and, and a couple always do. It's never just chalk, but on paper, uh, some of these look mm, stilted towards one side more than the other for sure, and we're going to tell you all those ways. Yeah, it's been, um, as far as playoffs go this year, it, more than I would say most years, it kind of feels like the have-nots versus the, the, the haves, I would say. Like, the stratification among, like, top-end teams versus the middle class is uh, seemingly a little bit more pronounced this year than I'm used to. And part of that's due to injuries. You know, if some of these teams were fully healthy, I think it would be closer. But, unfortunately, uh, nobody's really fully healthy in January. Uh, and it just, it is what it is. Some teams are are luckier than others in that way. First things first today, I want to go over our preseason predictions in terms of where we saw this conference shaking out back in August to see how close we got, and then we'll dive into all these games individually. Looking at our NFC predictions, I actually went four out of four, which this was not the conference that I expected to go four out of four in, but here we are. I took the Bucks to win the South, which even though it was ugly as sin, I will take the win. Uh, I took the Eagles to take the East, and I picked the Vikings to take the North, and the 49ers, even though it was shaky with not one but two quarterback injuries, I picked the Niners to win the West. Uh, how did you end up faring in the NFC going all the way back to last summer? NFC South, we both picked the Bucks, and it was not pretty, but they did do it, so we still get the check mark. 
We also both picked the Eagles in slightly different ways, but hurrah, Howie's roster paid that off for both of us, and we're happy to see it. The Eagles are one of the coolest teams in the NFL this year to watch on both sides of the ball. NFC North was our first split. You went with the Vikings. You thought this was Cousin and Jefferson's year. I was never going to bet against Aaron Rodgers, and so I picked the Packers, and the EJ curse is a work in progress. Um, <laughs> Packers went 8-9, and nine, and they are not in the playoffs, and, you know, hey, we're winning both ways. Uh, you picked the 49ers. You didn't pick these 49ers. You picked the Jimmy or maybe Trey 49ers. It was Trey at the beginning of the year. People forget that. Brock Purdy basically made you right, and we'll talk about that in the 49ers section and, and good on him. One of the best stories in the NFL. D'Amico Ryan's defense held it up for the whole year, and then Brock got hot at the end of the year, and the 49ers take the division. I picked the Rams. <laughs> Wheels fell off. Everything possible went wrong for the Rams. This was that season, their season in the bottom of the bucket. From pretty early on, they were not competitive. And that was surprising to not only me, but a lot of people. A lot of talent on that team. Again, had some injuries. Stafford didn't end up playing for a bunch of the year, but it was more than that. It was a sum total of, of falling off that crest of the wave. So ended up going two for four in the nfc whereas uh we both went three for four in the afc so overall you only missed one you missed the colts and a lot of people thought the colts were going to be good so uh all credit to you but generally i think we were on uh the right path for the right reasons in the preseason and that's probably the biggest thing for me as an analyst is we were looking at it the right way um some of those things didn't happen, which is the way all NFL seasons <laughs> well, work out. I, th I think we figured out that the Rams wasn't going to happen. Uh, when you and I were at the season opening game against Buffalo, we were at SoFi, first game of the season. And about three quarters into that game, we kind of looked at each other and like, oh, this is a problem. This yeah. is a really, really big problem, and I don't know if they're going to fix it. <laughs> well, it was multiple problems. That was the thing. It was like it wasn't that they were super close and they, oh, if they just hit a couple of throws, this would have been a game. It was wow, they're getting this whooped on. line sucks. <laughs> they're getting whooped on both ends of the field. Like, they're not close. This is not competitive. Like, yes, it's week one, and weird things happen in week one, and we can allow for that, but we both looked at each other with a bit of worry going, Ooh, this isn't what we thought it was. And I'm sure the Rams coaching staff started at that point saying the same thing, and that's the way it turned out. Uh, speaking of not what we thought it was, uh, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Let's get to the first game on the docket here, which is actually going to be the last game played of the weekend. Um, Cowboys going on the road to the Buccaneers. The Bucks ended up not being what we thought they would be. They still won the division, obviously still hosting a playoff game, but they are very far from what we expected from them. Injuries obviously played a pretty heavy factor in how a lot of their season went. They are still relatively banged up. Um, kind of looking at it right now, as of right now, uh, no word. We're getting we're recording this on Tuesday morning. No word on Carlton Davis, Logan Ryan, Vita Vea, Julio Jones, Donovan Smith, all the veterans who are either banged up or just got straight up rested last week. I'm assuming whoever can play will play. We just don't quite know the status of everybody yet. And that's just the the capper on all the other injuries they've sustained this year, especially up front in the offensive line. Like it, even going back to like training camp preseason, like when Ryan Jensen went down, um, it's just been kind of a never-ending train of misfortune for this team, and yet they're still here. And they actually have a pretty decent matchup on the field against the Cowboys. I was actually at um, Bucks at Cowboys in week one, that same weekend that, that we went to, to Rams-Buffalo. Uh, I was out in Dallas at that game, too. And it was also a rather one-sided affair. Um, this one, I think, is, is going to play out a little bit differently, but... Um, if there was one team that I don't think Dallas wanted to face, just from a schematic matchup perspective, it probably is the Bucks. even though the Bucks are so banged up. Because I do think that Tampa has the capability to exploit a lot of the things that Dallas um, either leans into or doesn't do as well. Please allow me to get on a soapbox real quick here to kind of expand on that, because I know that sounds crazy. The Cowboys are great, but... There are some things that I think Tampa could do against them. In particular, uh, Cowboys are dead average in number of pass rush snaps at five-plus rushers at 173 this year, meaning like fire zone calls or more, 173. Uh, that's 15th in the NFL. However, they have the seventh most sacks on those blitz looks at 17, and their seventh in pressure percentage when blitzing at 46.2%. Interestingly enough, though, even though they do get more sacks and pressures, they also give up a lot more explosive plays when they do that. So they're only 15th in EPA per play allowed, which is kind of like the the godfather, you know, defensive stat, the all-encompassing, you know, how how good are you EPA per play? They're 15th. 90% of those blitz looks, you know, five-plus man rushes have either cover three or straight-up man coverage behind it. Now... They are also 15th in four-man rushes. They're dead average in that, too, because they're dead average in blitz rate. They are seventh in sacks with just four-man rushes, but first in pressure percentage from those four-man rush looks at 39.8%. And they are second best in EPA per play allowed 
from a four-man rush. So basically, even though they get less total sacks and less total pressures than when they blitz, they're a more efficient defense and they're better at keeping explosive plays from happening when they just rush four and they play coverage behind it. Now, the majority of the coverages that they play behind four-man rushes are either going to be cover one rat, which is man coverage across the board, with the two linebackers inside kind of bracketing whoever's in the backfield or bracketing the number three receiver if it's an empty. Cover one rat, cover two, which everybody knows cover two, or three seam, which is kind of a different variation of cover three that you see from pretty much, you know, anybody who's in the Pete Carroll tree has always heavily leaned into this coverage. The weakness to that coverage that they love so much, though, obviously, is that if you have outside speed, you know, if you have somebody who can run 4-4 or, you know, God willing, 4-3, because the corners are playing like eight yards off inside leverage, they're, they're too far down the field to like, you know, collision guys and knock them off the route. You can just kind of run by them. And the Bucks actually did that in week one. I, I believe it was with Chris Godwin um, late in the second quarter. They just straight up ran and, you know, Tom uncorked a deep ball down the right sideline. It is a very, uh, I don't want to say risky coverage, but if, you, if you're going up against good outside speed, which in my opinion the Bucks do have, it is a little bit risky and you're vulnerable to those go balls. And I think that we are going to see that from Tampa, not just once, but maybe two or three times in this game if they intend to lean into that. And so I think it's going to be kind of an interesting um, you know, cat and mouse between should we blitz and leave a whole bunch of, you know, kind of vacant space and, and be worse against explosives? Or should we rush four and statistically be better uh, at holding down explosives, but also be more be more vulnerable to the type of explosives that Tampa can generate, which is those go balls down the boundary? It's a very nuanced kind of uh, schematic decision here. I would be super intrigued by Dallas leaning away from cover three and instead playing more cover two or straight up cover one and just kind of letting the chips fall where they may. If I was their staff, that's probably what I would do because I don't think I can make a living blitzing Tom Brady and I don't think I can make a living playing three seam with all my corners being way off out on islands. Um, It's a fascinating, fascinating schematic matchup and one that I do think the Tampa offense can compete in in this game you highlighted something that caught my eye on the broadcast as well which was Jason Garrett on the halftime broadcast saying that the Cowboys weren't as good on grass as they were on turf it weird weird phenomenon (laughs) and I was like well okay we've seen teams like that greatest show on turf was named that for a reason they they counted on team speed didn't feel like that was the Cowboys mo necessarily but you looked it up and and it does carry through they don't play as well on grass you might say well wait isn't this game being played in dallas i mean dallas is 12 and 4 and bucks are sub 500 yeah but the bucks are a division winner and dallas is second in their division so they travel and they travel to a field that is grass so when we talk about that speed that team speed that really lends itself to their defense and dan quinn has this unit playing really well again this year he had them playing good last year. I think he has them playing great this year. And he's getting his head coach's interviews in this cycle already. A few have been announced. That's not surprising as a former head coach for Dan Quinn. 
So they're a very good scoring defense, Dallas is, number five overall. They have a weakness, or actually it's just kind of a thing they care less about. It's not really a weakness. It's just what they say will allow you to do, and that's rushing. They're pedestrian against the run, mid-20s in most run statistics, but they live with that, and that's the model they've lived with all year. That's the way they set it up, and that's they're cool with that. They're like, yeah, okay, take some chunks in the run yard. We'll give it to you because we're really good scoring defense, and against the pass, they play really well. Basically a top 10 unit in the NFL, depending on which percentages you look at. And they have a, that's because of a very good sack percentage, which anybody that's watched Mike Parsons play, Marcus Lawrence, like these guys can rush the passer. Number two in the NFL in sack percentage. And that means the DBs are giving up less of those explosive chunks than they did last year. They're still giving them up. They still do it. But that whole sort of gamble and lose thing that they did last year that really was an Achilles heel has been lessened. This is Dan Quinn sort of honing those tendencies in and that pass rush giving opposing quarterbacks less time to make those decisions. The other thing is they also thrive off takeaways. They're number one in the NFL at 1.9 per game. They're going to make extra chances for Dak. And quite frankly, we'll talk about the Cowboy offense in a minute. Dak's going to need those extra chances. He hasn't been as efficient with the chances he's gotten as he has in the past. Um, But for the Dallas defense, they're going to have to hold up on grass. They're going to have to hold up against outside speed. Um, They're going to have to sort of live and die. They're not going to change coming into this game. Um, And that's okay for them because if you want to talk about where the Cowboys stack up well in this matchup, the Bucs O is dead last in rushing in the NFL, the 32nd. So if you're in the mid-20s on defense and your opponent's in, you know, dead last on the one thing that you kind of live with giving up, it's going to be a strength-on-strength matchup, and we're going to have to see one of the greatest postseason, uh, the greatest postseason player ever in the NFL try and exploit that. And Brady's going to have to hit those, and he's heated up a little bit in the last part of the season with those deeper shots. There was a period, certainly in the beginning of the year, where he stumbled. Mid-season, there was a bit of a trough, and, and the Bucks just didn't ascend to the heights that you know certainly their fans hoped they would. But there's this little resurgence in the last three, four weeks where he's throwing that, that ball that you're talking about deep outside the numbers with zip again. That ball is flatter. Mm-hmm. That ball is faster. That ball is there on time. So he can do it, and it's Tom in the playoffs. Uh, it's just hard to bet against him. Um, you did mention Dak has not been as uh, as efficient as we're used to seeing, and I think that you were being uh, generous there because um, he's been pretty streaky. And since coming back from injury in Week 7, his first game back was against Detroit uh, before they fired their DB coach, so they were still the worst defense in the league. But since that game, uh, he leads the league by a fair margin in interceptions at 14. Second place is Davis Mills at 11. Um, he is fifth in total turnover-worthy plays, which accounts for fumbles and dropped interceptions. He has been um, extremely aggressive, like uh, the opposite of Daniel Jones. Ultra, ultra, ultra aggressive. Majority of his yards being air yards and not yards after the catch. He's actually 32nd in the league since week seven um, in terms of percentage of yards that come after the catch versus uh, air yardage. 42.7%. Keep in mind, um, you know, two of the most effective quarterbacks over that time period in terms of generating yards uh, with Yak are Mahomes and Goff, who both went on a run. So if if you can set up your receivers for easy yards after the catch, get the ball 
on time in rhythm with the right place so they can you know just kind of catch and go and not have like awkward catches where they're stumbling and fumbling and bumbling and all that kind of stuff um, in addition to just making good decisions and taking what a defense gives you if they are um, you know not overplaying deep but very cognizant of your aggression down the field and they're kind of sinking and they're giving you space underneath you know good quarterbacks like Mahomes and dare I say Jared Goff, will take that space. And they took that space repeatedly over the back half of the year. Dak did not through a hell of a lot of interceptions. Um, now, in terms of the uh, the coverage side of things, the Bucks play an ass load of cover three in third down situations because they are very paranoid about giving up deep posts. So I do think that, um, you know, if Dak wants to rip off a chunk on third and long, it ain't going to come over the deep middle. And I think that he needs to be cognizant of that so that he doesn't keep throwing picks on those balls. But the Bucks do love to play cover three, uh, whether it's, you know, two by two, three by one, bunch, anything like that. Like cover three is the the main coverage they play. It's at like 60% or something like that. Now, what's interesting is when you're when you're playing cover three as either a trips check or a bunch check, and that safety is that free safety is kind of leaning towards the passing strength, the backside seam almost inevitably is going to be wide ass open. And I do think that if Dak is going to make hay in this game, it's not going to be going vertical. It's going to be working those backside seams when he gets all these cover three looks meaning like a seam stop or, you know, yeah, a, a sluggo, like any any type of, of route like that that can just get a guy in the seam or even like a bender, you know, if you're back in the corner off and then you kind of bend it inside, just getting a guy into that space because the free safety is not going to be there. Free safety is going to be lean, leaning towards the passing strength. And so Dak needs to be patient and just rip that particular throw over and over and over again, and then try to get them out of cover three, try to get them into more of a quarters look, which they used to play a lot more in the past. And then you can try to hit a pin post and, you know, work the deep middle, but he has to be patient and take advantage of the space that they are willing to give him and not get too aggressive and throw picks. If he does that, if he plays with patience, I don't think the Bucks will be able to stop them. I really don't, but it's going to come down to Dak not trying to eat the apple in one bite. He's got to get eight, nine, 10, dare I say 11 play drives in any way possible. Has to be patient or unfortunately for them, a 12 win season isn't going to mean much because they'll get bounced in the first round. He's got to be patient. When you talk about the matchup and how it stacks up and how at the top of this, you said Tampa stacks up in certain ways against Dallas. Well, this is this is the way. They're going to force them into multiple play drives. They're going to force Dak into not being the guy he's been really since the middle of the season, which is launching balls deep down the field and taking chances. They're not going to allow him to do that. They're going to force him into that medium-length passing game and make him do it 8, 9, 10, 11 times to score. The news is... They can. Even with what we said about Dak being inconsistent and streaky, Cowboys can score on anybody. Since the middle of November, so well after Dak's return, teams have been scoring on average 32 points per game. Like, there's a reason this is a 12-win team. 32 points is enough to win in the modern NFL. 
including hanging 40 on both the Vikings and Eagles, two of the NFC entrants into the postseason. Dak's been a gambler. You talked about that. He's tossing it up. I said he's been less efficient. CeeDee Lamb, over that period, especially of late, last five, six weeks, has made him look so much better than he's been. He has he has paid those throws off at a higher rate than many other receivers would have. So Dak has CD to thank, and hopefully he bought him a watch or something. <laughs> Tony Pollard is the best back on this team. We've been saying this for a couple of years, and this year it's not close. You cannot argue this. Rushing, Zeke is 231 rushes, 876 yards for 3.8 per with 12 TDs. He's basically a fullback right now and i'm not saying that to demean him i'm saying that's his role he's three and a half yards a carry and he gets the short ones and pays off tds pollard on the other hand 193 so less chances 1007 yards 5.2 per and still nine tds so just within the rushing stats pollard is clearly the lead runner on this team when you add in receiving it blows the doors open. Zeke, 17 catches for 92 yards for the year, 5.4 per, no touchdowns. Pollard, 36 receptions, so double, 371 yards, more than almost four times the number of yards, 9.5 per, again, double per catch what Zeke's doing, and three TDs. So when you stack those two numbers together, anybody that tells you that Zeke is the number one back on the Cowboys is just living in the past it's not the case Pollard is the guy on the rushing attack that's powering this offense and strangely enough Dalton Schultz is the second leading receiver on this team and he has 50 less catches than the guy in the lead yeah it it has been I don't want to say a one-man show but they definitely lean on the number one more than I would say a lot of other teams do. You could say it. CD, 107 catches, Schultz, 57. And if you look at the efficiency of the other receivers, Noah Brown and Gallup, who a lot of people will bring into this discussion, they've been very inefficient. They have not been paying off those more risky throws that that Dak's been tossing up throughout the second half of the year um, at a high rate. They have a bunch of targets, like, you know, uh, Gallup, for instance, has 20-plus more targets than Pollard, but basically the same number of catches. Like, they're just not paying those throws off at a rate. So this is uh, Dallas can score, and to do it, they lean on CD, they lean on Pollard, and in between, they'll lean on Dalton Schultz. But even with that formula and Dak being risky and everything else, they've been hanging up 32 a game for a while. So they can score and when you when we flip it over and look at the Bucks defense which we're going to do um look the Bucks scoring defense is decent they're middle of the pack they're allowing about 21 a game Dallas is scoring 32 something's got to give how much um I didn't want to touch too much on it because I didn't I didn't really know how much it mattered because the Cowboys like they were playing for something, but also like not really. Um, how much stock do you put into the fact that Dak is coming off quite possibly the worst performance of his career? They got trounced by the commanders who were playing for nothing. Um, 
Dak went 14 of 37 for a buck 28, one touchdown, one pick. It was ugly from start to finish. They couldn't run the ball. Tony had less than three yards per carry. Uh, Zeke had 1.2 yards per carry. Um, you know, the defense was given up really long balls to Sam Howell. Sam Howell appearance, by the way. Oh, no, don't that was start. Fun. We asked for this. We said, at what point is it just you know what you have in Wentz? You know who Taylor Heineke they, is. They still tried it. They still well, tried. It. I know. And we said, at what point? And we wanted that slider pushed earlier in the year. You can go back to our preview episode, and we were like, you know, what we'd really like to see if they don't go on an early run, which we're not predicting they're gonna do. We want to see that, like, mid-season. We want to see Sam Howell get, like, half a season. We know he won't. A third of the season would be good. I think that would be appropriate to see what they have. They gave him one game, and he looked good. Like He, he, had, good. <laughs> he had at least five plays in that game where you went, oh, man, like, there's there's something there. I want to see more of that, and we don't get to, and that's that's super frustrating. So I'll just jump off my Sam Howell soapbox for a minute. But we, how, how we much how much that. stock do you put into that game, though? The fact that Sam Howell threw all over the yard on them, uh, and and that their their offense got absolutely trashed. Like, do you consider that of uh, they were just looking ahead to the playoffs because they didn't give a shit, or do you consider that to be an actual detriment that they're backing their way into the playoffs coming off maybe the worst loss of the year um theoretically and and maybe the the worst performance of Dak's entire career like I I really don't know what to make of it I would say both right I I would put some stock in it not necessarily because they weren't looking ahead to the playoffs I don't really care if they were there is no good way besides clearly saying hey we've got 12 13 wins we're pulling everybody that matters we clearly don't care about this game and nfl teams do that with the last game of the year that was not this their starters were in they had guys in there it's a divisional game they did not take that approach so you can't can't have it both ways you can't say after the game oh we really didn't care but we put all our starters out there no it's one or the other and you know is it a death knell, or to, to your credit earlier in the season, a death nail. Um, no, <laughs> it's not. But is it ever good to roll into the playoffs on a really sour note? And look, this was a really sour note. Again, this team's been averaging, I told you, since mid-November, 32 points a game. They had 11 in this one. <laughs> so with that 11, they're still averaging 32. I did factor that one in, but it was this is the one that sticks out on the schedule if you look at it. And some people say, ah, oh, it's throw a game into the year. But they didn't treat it like that, and they got whooped in all the things that they do well. So it's not good. I don't think it's good in any way to roll into the playoffs sort of, you know, getting your ass handed to you right before you show up. That is not a way to sort of build momentum. You know, conversely, we look at, like, the Jaguars, right, or the 49ers, right? These are teams that are on a roll. And they just kept that role going into the last year, and they are they're hitting the playoffs in stride, sort of I would say at peak. I don't think there's any way you look at the the Cowboys team after that game and go they're at peak. They're still a good team. They're still dangerous. They could still win the game. Is it a good thing? No, there's no way to spin that and go, oh, it was a good thing. Uh, why don't we stick with the NFC East and get to Giants at Vikings? You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. 
Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Uh, the, the middle NFC game of the weekend. I think this one's on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I believe. Um, if you're an East Coaster. And I know that there's a lot of Giants fans that are going to be listening to this. I want to preface this by saying Daniel Jones has played better this year. And I will talk about the reasons why I think the Giants can and maybe will win this game because the Vikings have looked beyond inconsistent to end the year. And that's being very generous. I would not be shocked at all if the Giants go out there and just kick the shit out of them. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised. And I'm going to talk about the reasons why. But first, I need to be honest with you. Daniel Jones's arm is not the reason why the Giants made the playoffs. It was the defense being scrappy and the run game being ultra, and I mean ultra explosive throughout the year. Even if, you know, they, they did have some down games, like the combination of Saquon's legs and Daniel Jones's legs is why they're here because that was where they got all their explosive plays as an offense to put teams away, especially in fourth quarters where they were maybe the scrappiest, toughest, hardest fighting fourth quarter team in the entire league. And we talked about that repeatedly, especially in the first two months of the year. That being said though, every single game, and I have watched a lot of giants tape because I'm working on a giants film room, every single game, there are examples of receivers running wide ass open deep down the field and Daniel Jones does not pull the trigger. And I don't want to hear excuses of, well, look at who his receiving core is, who, who he doesn't have anybody to work with. They're still open. Like my eyes are looking at it right now. They are open down the field. Jones just refuses to push the ball down there and pull the trigger. And I really don't know why. I don't know if it's a field vision thing. I don't know if the the coaching staff said like, hey, if you aren't 100% sure, don't do it. But regardless, there's a lot of points that were not scored because of that conservatism, and there's a lot of meat that was left on the bone. Even against the Vikings, the first time they played against each other, well, like a month ago, not even, they they dialed up a perfect, I mean perfect, slow-go call against uh, like a half-quarter-quarter style defense that Minnesota always plays if you want – a deeper dive into how their defense functions. I did a film room episode recently on their defense and why it sucks so much. But a lot of it was talking about the structure of these, you know, half quarter, quarter or quarter, quarter, half defenses. And so they called sluggo and it was the perfect call to kind of exploit the quarter side. And it was open. Like it was six. It was dead to rights. Had them. Jones didn't throw it. And I just, I don't know why. I really don't know why, but that happens every single game. I'm talking one touchdown every single game, not scored because of that conservatism. And so, you know, statistically, he did have a good day against Minnesota. 
ish, but it should have been a lot better. And to be honest, they probably should have won that game if he was a more reliable threat to push the ball down the field. Instead, they're relying on their ground game and they're relying on Saquon, you know, ripping off a touchdown run on fourth and two because Eric Kendricks kind of misread it and then Saquon forced a missed tackle in the open field. Like Saquon is the reason why that game was close. Not necessarily Daniel Jones. It doesn't mean that he hasn't played a lot better this year, but he's also not the reason why they're here. They are 32nd in explosive passes in the league. They are, you know, first in terms of called bootlegs because they love bootlegs, but Daniel Jones on bootlegs is the, not 32nd, but 36th in average depth of target. It's like three yards, which basically just means every time they call a bootleg, they're not stretching the field. They're just throwing to the flat. So they're using bootlegs as like an extension of the run game, not uh, not a complementary passing piece to uh, to the run game to move the ball down the field. It's just, oh, we're getting a guy in the flat. That's that's not good. Uh, they're third in play action use, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, and they're seventh in RPOs, which also isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is an indicator of how they structure their offense, which is not around Daniel Jones throwing the football. No. They have had, uh, in recent games, a little bit more emphasis on 11 personnel, and they'll throw in some empty here and there, but at least to me, based on my film study, that wasn't necessarily them shifting the approach in terms of focusing more on Daniel Jones. It was more of a reaction to the style of defenses that were being played against them, which was a lot more quarters, um, a lot more uh, you know tight fronts and, and odd fronts and like five two structures in general. And so they kind of had to switch things up and, and kind of go more into eleven to try to force out more four two five nickel looks so they could get back to the style of runs they really like. So, like, I get it. The, the numbers say, oh, they're leaning more into the pass game and 11 personnel. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. They just really didn't want to play against odd fronts because that shuts down a lot of the inside zone and outside zone stuff that they like to lean on. So, I, I understand the math, but the math is, is misleading on that one. If you watch the tape, Daniel Jones misses opportunities to throw deep. And even when they're in 11 personnel, <clears throat> excuse me, even when they're in 11 personnel, a lot of the runs that they're running out of 11 personnel are specifically tailored for that that strategy of let's get them into a four a four down look using 11 personnel and then unleash Saquon. I uh, saw that a lot against the Colts, by the way. There's like three explosive runs that that were specifically like, hey, we're gonna call. Um, uh, God, I think it was um, it was like a pin and pull play. They pulled like the tackle in the in the center, if I recall. And they did it like three times. And they got a shitload of yards. But anyway, I'm getting off track here. Giants are good. Brian Dable coaching his ass off. They deserve to be here. I just want to set the record straight for Giants fans of why they are here. The defense is scrappy. Saquon is God. Daniel Jones does a lot of damage with his legs. And he didn't turn the ball over, which is good. But his arm, or rather... His ability to complement Saquon with explosive passes is still not ideal. And even though they're in the playoffs, and they will probably continue to be in the playoffs, you know, going forward, because I think if you're making it this year, you're probably making it next year. I do think there's a ceiling. And I think Giants fans need to be aware of that. There is a ceiling here. And if you want to go toe-to-toe with Philly, you want to go toe-to-toe with the 49ers, the ceiling needs to be raised. So... 
Uh, again, gonna get off my soapbox. I'll let you respond, but it's one of those. It's good, but it could be a lot better. Yes, all of that. Dable's coaching really, really well. Mike Kafka, along with him on the offensive side, doing a masterful job with what they have. The cupboard was pretty bare. They'd had some interesting drafts that were aligned differently under Gettleman. New GM comes in. They start to right the ship, but this year they had to make do with what they had, and they've made do beautifully. The fact that they're in the playoffs is not something most people would have predicted for this season based on where this team was. I'll I'll sort of do this in reverse. I'll talk about Daniel Jones first to talk about that piece, and then what that means that they know. They're well aware. Dable and Kafka know what they have in-house, maybe better than anybody. On Daniel Jones, we have been thorns in the side of Daniel Jones fans largely since he was drafted. Uh, he was overdrafted, in our opinion, and he was a turnover machine earlier in his career. That's gotten better. Last year it wasn't bad, but it's gotten even better this year. So Daniel Jones has played better under the current coaching staff. Not really a surprise looking at their backgrounds and where they came from, but they have drawn him a box and said, play within it, right? And that box does include those deep shots that he doesn't take. But other than that, they were like, we're going to limit your turnovers and we are going to scheme up a bunch of high completion stuff for you. And that's played out. Daniel Jones has made good on that. He's got his career best completion percentage, 67.2 overall. That's his best by three points. That's significant. Turnovers are mercifully down. Only five picks and six fumbles this year for 11 total as opposed to 14 total last year and 22 seasons ago. That was when we really started getting on, man, Daniel Jones cannot turn it over more than once a game, which he was doing. All that improvement to say, yes, you're right about the rest of it too. He lets people run down the field, doesn't hit that. That takes points away. So he's played better, but let's keep better in perspective. Everybody's saying, oh, Daniel Jones is just going to keep accelerating right the curve is just going to keep going up he's not a young quarterback we're more than a few seasons into this he's gotten better a little bit each year he threw for 2,000 less yards than Patrick Mahomes this year 2,000 this season and I know that the situations are different and one has Andy Reid and and you know Travis Kelsey but if you recall correctly, we were people, not us, people were going into this year saying like, oh, no Tyreek Hill. Their number one is like MVS and Juju. Like it's the worst receiving core in the AFC. Like people were talking about the Chiefs weapons like we talk about the Giants weapons now. And Mahomes threw for 5,400 yards and won like 14 games. And it... Brian Dable's a pretty damn good offensive coach, too. He's not Andy Reid. Nobody is, but, like, he's not garbage. He's still, like, a top-five offensive coach in the league right now. So it's not like, you know, the scheme wasn't there. There's just a big difference in quarterback play. You talk about talent overall. We talked about that coming in. There's a huge difference in what they will do throwing the football, and that difference translates on the field along with other factors, yes, but to 2,000 yard differential out of 5,000. Like, that's a huge percentage. And 26 less touchdowns. Daniel Jones threw 15 touchdowns, less than one a game 
in the modern NFL, you're not going to win with a quarterback that throws less than one touchdown per game. That's not going to be a thing. I don't care how good or exotic smash mouth your run scheme is. Like, that's fine. People heaped a lot of, let's say, negative praise on Russell Wilson this year. And rightfully so. Russell played like trash for the majority of the year. Russell Wilson threw for more yards than Daniel Jones this year. He did? Really? Really? <laughs> wow, winning changes everything. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> so when you look at this box, like Daniel Jones is playing, I think, ideally, about as well as he can within that box. And there is the the belief in some fans that he will then suddenly start to hit those open shots. And the answer is, if you look at the tape, he doesn't. Like, he routinely does not. The thing on bootlegs that you brought up, not just because it's the name of this show, but most teams will use a bootleg as an expansion of both the run game, basically moving the, the run game laterally and throwing those short passes that the Giants are doing, but also as an expansion of the passing game. The Giants, yes in one category, no in another. They, mm -hmm. That just doesn't exist for them on bootlegs. You don't see Daniel Jones roll out and chuck it 15 or 20 yards downfield to, you know, basically a sort of shifting flood concept or whatever. Like, that, he doesn't do it. He throws the check down, and they get yards off that, and he plays what I will say, with, which is within the offense, within the structure they've outlined, within that box, within himself, and he's playing as well as he ever has statistically within that box. But to your point, the ceiling... We think he's close to it, and it's nowhere close where the team needs to be. So everybody's saying, hey, they'll just keep going with Daniel Jones. They'll live with Daniel Jones. They are living their best life with Daniel Jones right now, and it's amazing that they made the playoffs, and they deserve tons of credit as a team, as an organization, as a culture shift, all of that. Big Blue is is turning the corner, and I agree with you. If they made it this year, it'll be easier to make it next year back to the playoffs. But in terms of looking at the rafters and saying, hey, we want to be up there and looking at what Daniel Jones is and does and saying those two things match up, that this is going to get us there. I don't think they have any illusions about that, especially after this year when he's played, quote unquote, his best. And this is what they got. Now, on the flip side of this game, the Minnesota Vikings are a 13 win team with a negative point differential which is astounding, like minus three <laughs> as a point differential is astounding. That means that when they win, it's a one-score game where something crazy happened, like the Buffalo game. <laughs> uh, and when they lose, they get blown the hell out, uh, which we've also seen uh, three times this year. And they are uh, a mystery wrapped in an enigma because... On one hand, they're very easy to like. Kirk Cousins has had, in my opinion, his best year. Um, and Justin, Justin Jefferson is arguably Offensive Player of the Year this year. If it's not a quarterback, it should be Justin Jefferson. He has solidified himself as, you know, the new Devontae Adams to me, the new guy that everybody looks up to. Not by a lot, but it's him. And yet despite all of their offensive success and all their explosive plays and Kirk and, and Justin Jefferson single-handedly willing this team to wins, the defense is so utterly atrocious 
that they can never just win easily. And when Kirk and Jefferson are not on their game or not having that just supernatural performance and connection that they normally do, like, uh, you know, when Jair Alexander puts the straps on him, when you take away that aspect of this team, they get absolutely obliterated because the defense is garbage. And, you know, I did the episode on it and, and kind of explaining the three pillars of why they're so bad, which is their communication is horrible. So they bust coverages constantly. Um, the stuff they call, like a lot of the quarter, quarter, half and half quarter, quarter stuff is super predictable and teams know it's coming. So they game plan specifically for it. And then, um, you know, the, the style and the technique that they ask their corners to play where they're like seven, eight yards off and guys just blow by them because they're allergic to press coverage. They play it less than pretty much everybody else in the league. Those three things, um, I, when I talked about it about a month ago, they got rid of that style for like one half of football, which was the second half against the Colts, where they played more press coverage, they played more man coverage, they ditched the quarter-quarter half shit, and they had the greatest comeback in NFL history. And then they went right back to doing it again. And and they went right back to being a bad defense. I I want to believe that they will change for the playoffs and that they will mix it up and switch and do something different, different than what has clearly not worked the entire year. But I don't think I can just count on that. I really don't. And if there ever was a defense that would give up explosive pass plays to Daniel Jones, it's probably this one. Not many, not as many as they should, but it could probably happen. And if you add in explosive pass plays with all the explosive run plays that the Giants can do and their defense playing super scrappy, it's kind of hard for me to think that the Vikings are going to win this game. It's not like it's an impossible matchup, but I just don't trust them to to have made the adjustments necessary to win it because they barely survived the Giants the first time. And I think the Giants... Um, are, have, a, have a bigger capacity to grow and change than the Vikings do. And so in the rematch, truthfully, if I'm betting on either one of them, I'm probably betting on the Giants because I just, I don't trust Ed Donatel. I really don't. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the keys to this game. I'm going to say if this happens for Minnesota, they win the game. And if this happens for Minnesota, they probably don't win the game. And what the Giants, you know, this is what the Giants want to do to the Vikings and what the Vikings are hoping to do to the Giants. The Vikings, we've talked about it all year. we talked about the offense being a one-trick pony, and it's a damn good trick. Like, it's one of the best tricks in the NFL. If Cousins can hit Jefferson and Osborne for chunks, and I, I throw Osborne into that mix, not because he's the equal of Justin Jefferson, but his role in this passing game is the other chunk guy. Mm -hmm. Right. And if Cousins is hitting those two guys for chunks, the defense has to respect it. The giant wink is going to have to move his defense and he's going to have to basically push them just a few yards deeper to give an extra guy in a passing lane to try and frustrate that. And if he does, Vikings went out and got Hawkinson. And if you see Cousins going to Jefferson, completing passes to Osborne easily. The defense is going to have to shift. Wink will do it. He will shift it, and he will start hitting those under chunks to Hawkinson. If you see that, the Vikings are rolling, and they're going to win this game by a bunch. Mm -hmm. If Wink can frustrate Cousins away from Jefferson, kind of, he's got a model to do it. He can look at what Joe Barry did in Green Bay 
Not saying he's got the same talent, but there's there's a way to do this. If he can bracket Jefferson and be successful in that, lots of people have bracketed Jefferson, and some have been successful and some haven't, and frustrate Cousins into throwing to Thielen, specifically mm-hmm. Adam Thielen, because Adam Thielen is Mr. Reliable at this point. He is Mr. Seven-Yard Out. He'll make the catch. He'll make the tough catch over the middle. But no chunks, though. That's right. If you yeah. see Cousins going to Thielen primarily and then having to— sh- to put contested balls to Hawkinson, not the open ones where the defense has retreated and there's extra space in the middle and he's hitting him wide open and Hawkinson can roam a little bit, but Hawkinson's got to use his body and shield and he's got a linebacker hanging off him. If you see that, if you see Thielen and Hawkinson making contested catches, the Giants have a chance. The Giants remind me of a boxer without great reach, those big passing plays or flashy speed, but a real bunch of power. Right. Mm-hmm. And they've got punching power. And those boxers to win a boxing match want to keep you close and beat on you. They don't want you at arm's length. They don't want to be dancing around. They don't want footwork. They want to be right down there close and just smashing the hell out of your ribs. And that's how the Giants want to win this game. They want to keep them close and beat them. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that, they have a chance to win this game because that defense won't hold up. They will give up some explosive plays, run, run or pass. I don't care. But if they can frustrate, if the Giants defense can frustrate Cousins out of that easy hookup, that electric hookup to Jefferson and force him into the underneath stuff and make him feel uneasy, Giants have a chance to keep these guys close, hug them, and just beat the hell out of their ribs and win the game. And so that's what you're looking for. If you see Cousins going off early, Giants are, are you know, Giants are probably going to get buried. <laughs> if you see the Giants able to frustrate Cousins out of what he really likes to do in those chunk plays, they got a chance. Uh, Minnesota is only a three-point favorite in this game at home. And that's which, that means even in the that NFL, That means folks. even. That if means you are even. playing at home and you are only a field goal favorite, that means we don't know it's a toss-up, so we're going to give the home team the bump. Again, I want to stress, Giants fans, I'm not trying to 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 beat on your guy because Giants fans are very loyal to Daniel Jones, as they should be. He's their quarterback. I get it. So I, I will go out of my way to pick them just because I feel better about their game plan of just dragging you into the mud and suffocating you to death than I, than I feel about Minnesota's game plan. I will pick the Giants to win, but I, I, I also refuse to lie to you about how I think they're going to win. So it's yeah. going to be the Saquon show and Wink Martindale doing his thing, in my opinion. One more note. Watch Richie James. If you're a Giants fan, you already know this. Mm-hmm. If you're not a Giants fan, Richie James is the guy on the passing game. As limited as the passing game is, Richie James is the guy. Darius Slayton has more yards, but way less catches. Richie James is the straw that stirs the drink for whatever the Giants can muster up in the passing game. Watch Richie James in this one. Uh, Kenny Galladay, also, like, random note. Kenny Galladay, like, just came out of nowhere uh, against the Eagles. And he, let me look it up because I remember I was like, what the hell? He made, like, yeah. a... <laughs> yeah, Where did that, that, that come from? That touchdown catch, it was a... Uh, mm-hmm. He had two for 30, but there was a touchdown catch he made in that game where I was like, where was that $72 million ago? <laughs> So, yeah. who knows? Maybe Kenny Galladay is going to wake up for the playoffs. Maybe. We'll 
Uh, all right, let's get to the last game, which is actually going to be the first game uh, in the NFC play. This was a, a Saturday game. Seahawks at 49ers. Um, and to me, the scheduling gods putting this one first was like, let's just get the mercy killing out of the way. Um, and that is no shade on the Seahawks because they are a good team. Like they deserve to be in the playoffs. Geno Smith has had a great year. Um, they have explosive weapons. Like I love their weaponry, you know, DK and Lockett and K walk and all that. Like it's an explosive team, um, at least potentially explosive team. And the defense has some young guys that I adore, you know, Tariq Woolen obviously came up limping a little bit when he stepped on somebody's foot in the last game. But like, he is one of the best young corners in the entire league. Um, Nuosu's had a great year. Quandre Diggs has had a great year. They have pieces that I genuinely love. It is a talented, talented team. And against almost any other matchup, I would give them a pretty decent chance to win. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. The 49ers, though, are the juggernaut of juggernauts right now. And I would pick them to beat virtually anybody in the NFL other than probably Kansas City. And if I'm picking anybody from the NFC to go to the Super Bowl right now, it's the 49ers. A month ago, probably would have been the Eagles, but the Eagles have gotten really banged up, and we'll touch on them in a little bit. The 49ers are rolling, and they're getting guys back. They just got Debo back. And you look at all their weapons with Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and CMC and the offensive line is beating people up and Purdy is playing. Honestly, he's been the best rookie quarterback this year. Like he, he has over doubled Kenny Pickett's touchdown throws in like 40% of Kenny Pickett starts. Like he's actually leading the league in the last six weeks in touchdown passes with 13. Nobody else has as many touchdown passes as him. Obviously, doesn't stretch the field as much as a lot of other guys. He only has three big time throws, which is like deep, tight window throws. Whereas, you know, Pat Mahomes is like 14 or 15 or something like that in that time spirit time period. So he's he's not making like super crazy high difficulty level throws from a physical standpoint. But that's not really how the offense is structured anyway. Like he is meant to get in there and drive the bus and make good decisions and make good reads and be accurate and avoid pressure and not take negative plays. He's doing that better than Jimmy G was doing in probably the last two to three years, ever since the Super Bowl year for them. Like Purdy is playing better than Jimmy G has. Honestly, he's playing better than Trey Lance was. Like if you told me right now who's going to be the starting quarterback next year, I'd probably say Brock Purdy just based on what we've seen. Cause like right now the results that we're getting are what they wanted from Trey Lance and they're getting it from Brock Purdy. 
But, you know, looking at, not to do too much of a tangent here, um, I, I've been guilty of this in the past, too, of like, oh, the system quarterback, the system is making Brock Purdy, everything like that. They're not asking him to make these crazy, like, deep out throws from the far hash. I understand that. That's why his big-time throw numbers are so low. But at the same time, I don't want to make it seem like the QB-friendly offense or whatever we want to call it means that it's easy to operate. That's not the, that's not the case here. They're not asking him to make, from a physical standpoint, high-difficulty throws. But they are asking him to, to do a lot of really difficult stuff mentally. This is a very dense playbook. I have three copies of it from three different years in Kyle Shanahan's offenses, two from San Francisco, one from Atlanta. It's fucking dense. Like it's hard. There's adjustments everywhere. Like yeah. you're calling protections. Like it's crazy complicated. And it asks a lot of a quarterback, maybe not with his arm, but with his brain. And Purdy's doing all that. So I, I don't want to call it a quarterback friendly offense just because of the nature of the throws he's asked to make, because it's really not a quarterback friendly offense is something where you're running like seven different plays, like straight up air raid, where you only have to memorize every aspect of seven different plays against every defense. And you just go out there and you're ripping it. we got one word calls. We're operating at warp speed, all that kind of stuff. This is different. This is not that this is hard to run and he's doing it. So, you know, looking at Purdy, leading the league in touchdowns, operating a very complicated offense, doing it better than Jimmy maybe ever has. I just, they are a machine. And I, I just, I can't see the Seahawks winning this game short of Geno and his receivers playing the game of their life. And they will have to because the 49ers are just too damn talented. They're too good. And I, I can't pick anyone other than them to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, if you say anybody out there, not just you, if the Royal you say you knew at the beginning of the season that this 49ers team would be winning this way, you're lying. Because mm -hmm. the 49ers didn't even know they'd be winning this way. 49ers had two other plans before this that didn't pan out, and they are more than happy to take Brock Purdy's excellence and ride it on the biggest wave in the NFL into the playoffs. They are rolling. Nobody's found their stride like the 49ers have since the switch to Brock Purdy. Ripping off 10 straight, six under Purdy's direction to close out this year is a statement that we are here, that we are a force, that we are the ones you're going to have to knock off. And, and they've made that statement definitively. And like you said, they're actually getting one of their best offensive weapons back in Debo, which is really scary given what they put up without him. In the AFC, we talk a lot about vibe and the Chiefs, right? When the Chiefs are vibing, like the 49ers make no mistake on both sides of the ball are vibing right now. The defense has been vibing all year. D'Amico Ryans and the defense held this team up while they were figuring all this stuff out, while they were working through all this stuff on offense. Once the offense ignited under Brock Purdy, we talked about it the first week he was in. Man, CMC is running as hard as he ever had. These guys are excited. These guys are charged up. They're, on, they're vibing on both sides of the ball. This whole team is just grooving right now, and the results show that. And that makes them the scariest team in the NFL to play right now in the playoffs or any other time. But we're at mm -hmm. the playoffs, so that's when you're going to have to play them. And nobody, nobody, if they're being honest, wants to play these guys right now if they think they're going to win.
Kansas City is hoping somebody takes them out along the way because they don't want that rematch. Hundred <laughs> percent. As far as this offense goes, the 49ers offense might be the best offense in modern history when it's forced into the dump off game. When you look at the combo platter of Kittle and McCaffrey and Uzcheck and even Ayuk, that's super problematic. You add Debo into that as the sort of hybrid runner receiver made out of lead, can't tackle me guy that he is. And then you put them behind one of the best and most athletic offensive lines in the league. Any three-yard dump-off, we just talked about the three-yard dump-off with Daniel Jones on the bootleg. Any three-yard dump-off by San Francisco can go for 30 mm-hmm. at any time. With any one of those guys and a couple of blockers from that line getting out, like, look out. They can go 30 or farther. So they are they're they don't have to be pushing the ball down the field outside the numbers to be dangerous, to be explosive. A three yard play for this offense at any time can be terribly explosive. Flipping it over to the Seahawks to have the Seahawks win this game, to have them have a chance. You talked about it. They're going to have to play within themselves. We talked about Dak having to do it earlier. Geno has been incredible this year. End of story. One of the best quarterbacks in the NFL by any measure. Great story, but also just in terms of production. Great, great, great year by Geno Smith. He's going to have to play within himself versus D'Amico Ryan's defense, which is ultra pressuring at every level. So it's a very hard thing to do, a very easy thing to say, oh, play within yourself versus the best defense in the NFL. Very hard thing to execute, but he's going to have to. Geno Smith is going to have to do that because the 49ers are number one against the run. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what Seattle likes to do, they Gino has been great. He has not had to lean on the run, but they have leaned on the run because they've been good at it. Talked about Kenneth Walker being explosive as a rookie. He is. They're not going to see that explosion typically versus the 49ers. They're still going to try it because they're the Seahawks. But make no mistake, if the Hawks are going to win this game, they have to put the ball in Geno Smith's hands, and he has to play well with it. And he's going to be under pressure. He's escaped pressure really well. He's had great pocket movement all year. He's been accurate uh, down the field. He does have good weapons, but they're going to give him very few chances under a tremendous amount of duress, and he's going to have to hit, like, all of them. Because if Mm -hmm. they don't, they're just not going to keep up with the 49ers' offense on the other sideline. If he, you know, makes mistakes and that ultra-aggressive defense gives the 49ers offense more chances, they lose as well. So there's like a very narrow path where Geno Smith plays the lights out, hits every open shot, which is not many, to lock it to DK, to those tight ends when he has to. And he just he can't lean on the running game very much because it's just not going to be there. They're going to get a couple of plays out of Kenneth Walker, probably in like swing pass situations with athletic tackles out in front blocking, but this is he's going to have to play the game of his life and he's gonna have to do it throwing the ball because 49ers aren't gonna let him do anything else some other minor matchup notes i'd be very curious to see if um you know i pointed this out in the in the nick bosa film room that i did charles cross tipping his pass sets where based on his stance pre-snap, uh, Nick Bosa and all the other uh, 49ers edge rushers, the last time they played against him when Gino was running for his life and didn't have time to do anything, um, you know, a lot of that pressure was coming from the left side because based on where Charles Cross's feet were uh, pre-snap, they could tell what kind of pass set he was going to be using. Um, you know, whether it was a, a, a jump set or using that kind of old Howard Mudd technique where, you know, his philosophy was, I'm going to go fight you before you fight me. 
um, or, you know, doing the typical ankle set or kick set, whatever you want to call it, vertical set, you know, based on how his feet were, you could tell what he was going to do. So I'm curious to see if they tweak that a little bit this week, um, because it was very obvious on tape. And I think, uh, I think it's, it's necessary for them to take a look at that. Another thing is since Brock Purdy has become the guy, George Kittle has been a monster. Uh, in terms of getting touchdowns. He's been great in the red zone. Uh, you know, obviously he's normal great yak self. They're going to have to have a plan in terms of handling him in the red zone, and I think it's going to be Tariq Wollett because who else on the Seahawks roster in terms of size and length and speed and physicality would you even bother putting up against George Kittle? Like if they're going into like a, a nub look with like George Kittle is the Y and then trips on the other side, uh like I, I would honestly just leave Tariq over there and <laughs> just say Tariq Kittle's your guy. Match him. We'll deal with everybody else in whatever way we need to. Um, or if Kittle's in the slot, I would move Tariq from the outside and put him in the slot. Because like, does anybody else have the size and physicality to handle a glance route from him? Probably not. So it would break tendency a lot for them yes. um, to, to move Tariq from being the outside uh, right corner to literally shadowing a tight end, but I kind of think it might be necessary because I really don't trust anybody else on the roster to do it. No, and if Debo's back, that goes out the window because Debo Mm -hmm. is very Kittle-like in a lot of the physical dimension and run-after-the-catch stuff. Again, who if you're going to put Tariq Woolen on Kittle, that's great. Who are you going to put on Debo and vice versa? Right, I think you're Debo's just going to get his no matter what at this point. Like, <laughs> and and that could be the play. I I'm with you. I very much doubt knowing Clint Hurt and Sean decide that they will have Woolen travel. I would like to see it on some plays, especially in the red zone. Give mm-hmm. me Woolen on Kittle in the red zone because I think it's your best chance. But then, <laughs> look, even if you do this right. Even if that matchup works and you find some way to stymie Debo, good luck. And you cover CMC out of the backfield, who is... Did you see the freaking stutter comeback oh, yeah. last He's week? a wide receiver. He's a wide receiver. His dad was a wide receiver. He runs yeah. like a wide receiver. He runs routes like a wide receiver. So there's that. And then, oh, you you missed Juszczyk or and, and Ray Ray. Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk. Like, <laughs> you, you can't get them all. You yeah. just can't get them all. And that's the beauty of the 49ers offense right now. And look, the Seahawks are going to be pressed on both sides of the ball. They're playing a better football team. So they're going to have to play mistake-free. They're going to have to get some fluky turnovers, some extra pressures. Nwosu's going to have to get a sack. Brock Purdy, again, easier said than done because he is a quick little sucker in the pocket. Like, he can scoot. His 10-yard splits, like, uh, I think I saw it was 1-5-5, which is faster than... Everybody, Everything. like he's insane. So it's a huge challenge for the Hawks. They do deserve to be here. If they win, it will be a surprise for sure. They will have to play a near perfect game and get a couple bounces. Yeah, it's just it's a tough matchup. Like I think, I think it'll still be an entertaining game. Oh yeah. Um, you know, just because it's a division matchup, these two teams know each other well. They literally just played against each other a month ago, and I think you know, all of that film is very relevant for them to study and, you know, come up with tendency breakers and Seahawks are going to have something special for them. I don't know what it is, but they're going to have something special for them. 
the line uh last time i checked was like nine 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 or ten something like that i don't know if i would go that rich like i do think the 49ers win uh 10 points in a divisional rematch playoff game is like tough for me to think you're going to win by 11 you know so i i would still probably pick the seahawks to cover the 49ers to win and ultimately the 49ers to you know, unless unless the the Eagles get healthy and get everybody back for a, a championship matchup, uh, 49ers from now to to February, in my opinion. I've I've got a little bit more love for the team we're going to talk about than you do. The Eagles, they, it's hard to forget what they've put up through the whole season because it's been really impressive. Again, on both sides of the ball, are they as hot or peaking at the right time as the 49ers? No. They're not. Are they still uber talented and can they polish any team in the NFL off the field on any given day? A hundred percent they can. Would it be would that be one of the most entertaining games in the entire year? Is a oh, fully yeah. healthy Philly versus a fully oh, healthy San Yeah. <laughs> That's what we watch the whole season for. Yes, indeed it would be. That is two juggernauts slamming it out on the field and trying to figure out who's the best with likely Kansas City and Buffalo sitting on the AFC side waiting for that to happen. And that's what we oh, all Bengals want. Bengals fans are just going to rip you a new one of the asshole. There's only so many teams you can mention in one breath. I love <laughs> the Bengals, and their defense has played great. And if they go again, look, they went last year and nobody thought they would. This year I thought they were more likely to go in. Like, those are all great games. If you distill it down to those, like, five-ish teams that's the best football you're gonna see all year is those teams with healthy quarterbacks coming at it yes they all have injuries yes philly has been more dinged up right now and san francisco's getting a little bit healthy this doesn't matter everybody suffers injuries they still all have their starting quarterbacks i mean (laughs) i think san francisco's found their starting quarterback it's not their starting of the year quarterback but their best quarterback let's put it that way you're binging bringing the best product together for what should be some of the most entertaining games of the year as we go down the stretch. I have a lot of love for Philly. I think Philly is a pretty even matchup for the 49ers in a lot of ways because they do have a a bevy of defenders to go up against that really potent offensive mix. Do I think they win? Mm, I think the game's really tight, and I want to watch it is all I'm going to say about it. If the 49ers go to the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, does Trey Lance get traded? Well, I think the in- more interesting question is where's Jimmy go, you know, and and uh, what oh, is Jimmy's the- probably going to the Jets, I would imagine. Well, if I- LaFleur is kept in New York, he's probably going to the Jets. Yeah. Lots of storylines to unravel here at the very end of a toss in for a playoff show, but yeah, I'm with you. If they if they make a good run, if they're not a first round exit, if the Seahawks don't surprise them, and maybe even if they do, because if you watch the film, it's really hard to say anything besides the 49ers played their best football with Brock Purdy at quarterback, mm-hmm. which any GM, any coach in the league is the NFL's a meritocracy. We want to play our best football. We want to beat as many teams as we can. Do we have a better chance to win with Brock Purdy, which is not an unknown anymore, but a known and unexpected, but a known. We have lots of tape against some very good teams and if he pushes them even medium deep into the playoffs, say they lose in the championship game, who cares? How do you displace him as the quarterback of the 49ers 
watching what they did when he came in, how he ignited that side of the ball for a team that makes a deep playoff run. I don't think you can. I don't think you can come back and say, well, you know, a few years ago we spent a lot of draft picks, so we just got to figure this out. You got it figured out. And NFL teams, once they have it figured out, don't want to mess with it anymore. So if they feel like Purdy's the guy, and boy, it sure looks like he's the guy. does not look like a flash in the pan. Their team, their system operates best with him at the helm. I don't see any way you come and push that guy off the chair. We are already at the point where no matter what happens the rest of the year, going into next season, it's an open competition. We're already at that point. I think we're past that. I think it would be very difficult for anyone to come in They would give Trey a chance at this point in camp, but Purdy would get – he would get the first crack. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to go back to camp next year to watch that. But if they if they go on more than just a little run, if they go on a big run, I don't know. I, I, I think Kyle is so particular about who his quarterbacks are and how they play. I don't think he'd want to upset the apple cart. I really don't. He's it's like, not a, yeah, I mean, we're making it sound like he's settling. And no, honestly, it's choosing. He's, he's like settling for best. Like yeah. he's saying, this is what I want. It's it's like all those fan bases, all those teams, and we're going to start to hear these. I'm already starting to hear these, all these fans with the draft coming up going, you know, we could get another one if we're lucky of what we have. <laughs> and you're like, but you already have it. That's the whole point of draft picks is to get what you have. So why do you want to give up what you have for a maybe? And Shanahan's got to be the same way, saying, this is what I want out of quarterback play. Isn't it obvious that Mm -hmm. this is the way I want this thing to run and to be run? Why am I going to say maybe you'll run it better when it being run the way I wanted it to, the way I see it in my head, got us to the playoffs, the NFC Championship, maybe even Super Bowl? Like, at what point do you go, oh, but this might be better over here? It's that family guy skit about the box, right? Well, what's in the mm-hmm. box? This is a boat, but what's in the box? It could be a boat. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's the point, right? So yeah. I, I think Shanahan is a smart enough coach to go, this is what I want. Like, this is the this is the mountaintop. This is the pinnacle. I'm good. I can win. We can win versus anybody with this. Why do you say, oh, but we have to make a change? Like, that's a tough thing to sell to your offense after what they've felt for the last third of the year. I'll tell you what. Shout out to Eric Galco. Oh, he man. knew, man. He knew. Yeah. He knew. He, he brought absolutely him for a knew. We saw him, and he, you know, to be fair, we've been honest about this. He did not look like this. He just no. Didn't. At the Shrine Bowl, he was not that. He was not, not anywhere close to this. There were very few even sparks that said he could be this. So we were, you know, I would say rightly less excited about his prospects as a quarterback. He has exceeded everybody but the most ardent Iowa State's fans' expectations and maybe yeah. his parents. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we get to see 49ers, Philly. You know, Philly uh, on paper it's still probably the best team if they're healthy they're just not healthy so we'll we'll check in on that in the next show um when they are when they're you know facing whoever they're going to face in the divisional round I, I don't know who they would be i mean if tampa i think it's whoever wins the tampa and dallas game is who the eagles would face off the top of my head unless the seahawks um or giants pull something off then we might get Ooh man you know eagles giants would be interesting too 
again. Because, I mean, God, they pushed them to the limit with their backups last week. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So I'm excited for the divisional round already. Looking ahead to it. We'll see who Philly plays. Um, we'll see who, who, who wins this week in both conferences. And we'll be back next week with two more episodes. One previewing the AFC side. One previewing the NFC side. And, uh, you know, draft season soon approaching, so stay tuned for that. EJ and I are going to be going to the Shrine Bowl in three not, weeks. No, Not very many even. weeks. Yes. Yeah, not so we're, we're getting close to there, too. Um, we love you all. Thank you for watching and listening, however you happen to be consuming the show. And we'll see you all very soon. Take care.